Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Immigration was a huge topic this past week. President Trump was keeping it in the conversation ahead of the midterm elections. He was focusing on the migrant caravan that's headed its way towards the states. He was calling it an invasion and a crisis at the southern border. He gave a big speech and he's planning on issuing a comprehensive executive order on immigration, possibly this coming week, to change how asylum claims are being handled. We spoke to Daniel Lippman. He's a reporter with Politico to talk about the president's latest remarks. He's really amping up the fear of immigrants ahead of the midterm elections. So right. he's hitting that button to try to get more people to turn out. Unclear whether it's actually going to work because, you know, uh, a lot of moderates and Hispanic voters, Democrats, they're going to be also energized by Trump's remarks and then through the entire week or so that he's been talking about immigration more than usual. So that could backfire on Trump and Republicans. They want to talk about issues that unite more Americans than this very divisive issue. The Immigration and Nationality Act says that anyone who arrives on U.S. soil may apply for asylum. So are we expecting changes to that in this executive order that he might be issuing next week? Well, you know, you could see a scenario where he tries to do that, but Congress plays a role in immigration policy, and so he can't just do all of this willy-nilly. And so he is really trying to go beyond his executive power when you talk to experts. And so that's very concerning in terms of the Constitution. And, you know, he's talked about birthright citizenship. Right. He might do that as well. I think we should just think about how Stephen Miller, he is at the forefront of this, Trump's senior policy advisor, who has long been an immigration hawk. And now he's basically the Secretary of Immigration. And so he is pushing behind all of these different proposals. He's even writing the speeches about this almost all certainly sets up for a battle with the courts. I mean, I think even the president might just want it to get to there. Let's make an executive order. Everybody will challenge it. It'll go up to the Supreme Court and then they'll make the decision right away. You kind of go around Congress making a new law or something like that. So it seems like he kind of wants to force the issue in that way. And it is something that needs to be handled. The immigration system is totally out of whack right now. We're getting more asylum seekers than ever before. The backlog is like somewhere in the 800,000 range of cases pending in immigration court. And it does put a strain on the resources at the southern border. He's saying he's going to send up to 15,000 troops now, even though the Pentagon says it's much less than that. You know, he's banking on the court, but you know, the court has to also think about the Constitution. And so it's not a bank shot that he's going to uh, get all of his executive orders ruled constitutional. I think they, they did let the travel ban a very, you know, I think the third version, right. they let that sail through, although I think there was a five to four. With a lot of these things, they have to think about the, the court's reputation. They don't want to approve something in a short-term fashion because Trump is in office. They have to think about what happens after. You don't want to have a president declare the whole constitution unconstitutional. <laughs> right. And so it's this real push and pull between Trump's eagerness to to assert himself on this issue 
but also have to, you know, he still abides by the courts at least. Right. Daniel Lippman, co-author of the Politico Playbook. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. As I said, immigration was a big fixture in the news this week. The president caused a huge stir when Axios reported for their new show, Axios on HBO. He said that he was planning an executive order to end birthright citizenship, meaning that babies born to non-citizens would not automatically be granted citizenship. So we spoke to Steph Kite. She's the immigration reporter there at Axios about the big scoop that they had. So in an interview with my colleagues, Jonathan Swan and Jim Vandehei, President Trump told them that he is planning to sign an executive order that he's spoken with his counsel and he plans to end birthright citizenship. He didn't really give any further details beyond that or a timeline. But he went on this sort of rant talking about how he wrongly said that we're the only country where people come here and they just have a baby and that baby becomes a citizen. Then there's chain migration and they bring in their parents and they become citizens. So we kind of, this is really targeting the process of children who are born in the U.S., particularly to undocumented immigrants, are automatically given citizenship because of the 14th Amendment. And Trump doesn't want them to then be able to also sponsor their parents for citizenship. And so while we don't know the details, we do know that that was the point that he talked a lot about in the conversation and that he is planning some kind of an executive order to end that. Right. And it's something that he's been talking about for quite a while. I know there's a lot of conservatives that also feel the same way. When he was on the campaign trail before he became president, he had made allusions to anchor babies and ending the birthright citizenship. One of the reasons why we love talking to you guys at Axios is you guys always have the inside scoop. You guys are very thorough in your reporting. And it even caught the president off guard, it seemed like. When your colleague asked him about this, he's like, I, I thought I was the only person who knew this uh, because it was internal rumblings. These were things that were happening behind the scenes that they were working on. Exactly. Jonathan Swan had been chasing this story. He had got tips from a few of his sources close to the White House. And so in preparation for this interview, he decided, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and ask the president and see what he says. So I think you can even see in his face, we were kind of shocked that President Trump decided to just reveal, yes, he is actually planning an executive order. And that's something that they're planning to do and something he's talked to his legal counsel about and something that he believes he has the authority to do, which is something that is debatable. And the majority of legal and constitutional scholars would say he does not have that ability. Let's get into that part of it. The majority of scholars, legal scholars say that this cannot happen, but there are people that back the president and say that he could kind of make some changes to it. And even the president acknowledges that Congress would need to get involved. It's a long, lengthy process. It just seems like it sets it up for the Supreme Court to make a final judgment on this. I think it's almost certain that we would see very fast legal challenges if and when the president does actually sign this executive order. And as you said, you know, the majority say this is not within the president's power. This is in the Constitution. The Constitution is very clear in the 14th Amendment. And the only way to change this is through a constitutional amendment. But there are a few conservative scholars who over the years have argued that the one phrase in the 14th Amendment that talks about being subject to the jurisdiction thereof, of the U.S., of the state, 
can be read in two different ways. And some conservatives argue that that line was supposed to mean only people who had full political allegiance to the U.S., meaning that they are not undocumented immigrants, they are not temporary immigrants, but this kind of feeling that they belong to the U.S., perhaps this was the understanding of that part of the 14th Amendment. And the Supreme Court has weighed in on this before, but it was applied to legal residents at the time. So uh, the thinking is that this has never been decided on immigrants not here legally. And that's what uh, Vice President Mike Pence even said, said the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court has never ruled on whether or not the language of the 14th Amendment applies specifically to people who are in the country illegally. And that's where the sticking point is. That's where a lot of people are saying that the president could just direct his agencies to fall in line with his interpretation of it Mm -hmm. and limit that to uh, people that are legal residents, green card holders and and citizens, which again, which just set up a Supreme Court fight and make them weigh in on it. And now that the president has conservative majority there, it throws everything in a flux. Nobody knows what will happen at that point. It's very true. Nobody knows. And of course, there is the most conservative Supreme Court that we've seen in a very long time. And so that could mean that they would rule in favor of the president if this did reach the Supreme Court and made it that far. But not all conservatives think that the president has this power. There's even a judge who was nominated by President Trump who has written about how he does not think that it is constitutional to read the 14th Amendment in any way that would not give citizenship to any baby born in, on U.S. soil. Paul Ryan has weighed in on this and he said mm-hmm. that it's almost hypocritical to think that President Trump would want to do this because they gave President Obama so much flack and using executive powers trying to rewrite immigration law. So just on that basis, he disagreed with it. He said that mm-hmm. it would just involve a very lengthy constitutional process. So Paul Ryan is not in support of this. And I know this is ratcheted up ahead of the midterms. There is this thing of birth tourism that has happened. I live in California and I remember very specifically just a couple years ago, one of the neighboring cities over here, FBI and police raided a uh, birth hotel where uh, I think it was a lot of Chinese immigrants were hosting a lot of women so they can have their babies and then leave. So it's not that this is not something that is happening. From 2014, the Pew Research Center found that about 275,000 babies were born to such mm-hmm. parents in 2014. It was just 7% of the 4 million births in the U.S. that year. So it's a small number, but it is something that happens. But this is something that the president has made a centerpiece of his immigration policy from the very beginning, from when he was running for president. You know, we can go and talk about the history of the 14th Amendment and how it gave African-Americans the right to citizenship. And that was the original intent. But right now, in this context, it really comes down to immigration. So while, of course, he wasn't expecting our question and we weren't expecting this news to break right now, it does add in with everything else that he's been talking about, immigration and the caravan and everything else going on ahead of midterms, which is something the president loves to talk about and something that Trump supporters tend to have high on their voter priorities. The full interview can be seen this Sunday, November 4th. It's called Axios on HBO. Is there anything else you want to tell us about that? I myself am excited to see the final product. I have yet to see all of the episodes all the way through. But yeah, in partnership with HBO, it's going to debut this Sunday at 6.30. And I'm looking forward to see it. There will be four episodes. So this Sunday will be the first one. And then every Sunday after that, so everyone should watch. I'll right. be watching along with you. <laughs> Excellent. Steph Kite, immigration reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.
this week started off in a horrible way. It was a rampage that has been described as among the deadliest against the Jewish community in the United States. The suspect, his name is Robert Bowers. He was armed with a AR-15 rifle and at least three handguns. He stormed into the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh and opened fire on all the people there. He killed 11 people, ages ranging from 54 to 97. He had an exchange with police. He injured four police officers and SWAT team members. He was shot and finally surrendered. He went to the hospital where he was treated by Jewish doctors and nurses. Still, all the while, he kept saying he hated Jews and he wanted to kill all Jews. What is the latest update? Because he's been charged now, right, Miranda? Yeah, Oscar. He was indicted on 11 counts of obstruction of free exercise of religious freedoms resulting in death and 11 counts of using a firearm during a crime of violence. Also, 11 counts of criminal homicide and 13 counts of ethnic intimidation. And he appeared in federal court on Thursday and pled not guilty. I think they've been looking to try to get the death penalty, so we'll see how that develops. But the interesting thing about this story is that he was very prominent on this little-known social media website called Gab.com, where it's been a haven for alt-right activists and extremists. We spoke to Ina Freed. He's the chief technology correspondent at Axios. For a little bit more on the role that social media played in this and what social media platforms are doing to stamp out this type of hate speech? I mean, I think if you look at a lot of the recent incidents, you find that not only are they generally the same themes that we see echoing throughout social media, but in many of the cases, the individuals involved have been active on social media. So there's two separate issues. One is the ideas that are swirling, and the second is the actual individuals themselves have had social media presences, in some cases reported as making threats right. and still no action taken. With uh, Caesar Sayak, he is the pipe bomb mailer. He was reported on Twitter for making threats against a political commentator. And at that time, Twitter did nothing. They didn't. They said that it didn't violate their standards. And then after he was arrested, they took down his account and apologized for that. But obviously, that's too little too late. This happens a lot with Twitter, where unless it's a very specific threat against a very specific individual, and even then sometimes like this where it is, we don't see action taken until after the fact. In that case, he tweeted Rochelle Ritchie and said, we will see you for sure. Hug your loved ones real close every time you leave home. I mean, that to me sounds like a threat, as in, I'm following you, I'm going to meet you somewhere, hug your loved ones before you don't get a chance to do it again. So for them to not say that that, that wasn't a threat, that's hard to swallow. What do we know about the Pittsburgh shooter and this other social media website called Gab.com? Many people haven't heard of Gab. It was set up because actually there were some people getting kicked off Twitter right. and other mainstream sites. And so they wanted a free speech, and I put that in quotes, place where they could share their ideas. So Gab was formed largely right-wing and alt-right figures to have a place to, quote, freely talk about these ideas. And so Gab's has been allowing a wide range of, quote, free speech that includes just virulent hate and so forth. And that's that's just part of what they stood for. They are down right now because a lot of the partners that they need to keep a website going from hosting services to payment services have now dropped the service because, in fact, the suspect in the Pittsburgh shooting had been very active and very clear, uh, as you mentioned, even just a few minutes before the shooting about what he intended to do. The person who did the shootings in Pittsburgh, he acted alone, but he found a home here. And 
people question whether these sites play a part in that. I think there's two issues. One, are you allowing specific people to make specific threats? In this case, you know, the answer appears to be yes. And that's certainly the line at which, you know, a lot of tech companies said we're not going to do business with Gab any longer. In terms of these ideas spreading, there's a school of thought out there that if you allow and amplify this sort of hate speech that you don't know who it's going to find an audience with, but you can actually be pretty sure it's going to resonate with someone and someone somewhere is going to take action based on it. And I think we're starting to see that, whether it's the president himself, lots of people espousing very angry hate at groups like immigrants, at um, media outlets. And I think it is clear that it's finding a home. We're seeing a, a rise in these sorts of incidents. And I, unfortunately, Social media does serve to amplify and anonymize these feelings, making it easier to spread hate. There's a lot that social media sites can do, not just banning you know, the stuff that's clearly over the line, but also not promoting the stuff that is demonstrably false. There's all these false memes in the same piece I wrote for our newsletter. I talked about all the false hatred that's still live on Twitter. So memes right. that George Soros was a Nazi. He was, in fact, a Holocaust victim. Like, you know, there's a lot that's getting through and being promoted that doesn't need to be. You brought up memes. And I think it's just kind of an interesting side of from this. You know, people can post words and they can be hateful and all that stuff and wrong, all this. But then memes come into play and they're just pictures. Obviously, sometimes they have text, but, you know, those can be just as damaging. And, and a lot of people are, are quick to dismiss those a lot of times. Well, there's two issues with memes. One, they spread faster because they're catchy. And right. they're two, uh, because the text is sometimes part of the image and not text, it's harder for computers. And a lot of the companies, because of the scale, rely on automated filtering. It can be harder for the automated filters to catch. So you kind of have a double whammy with memes. But again, some examples of some awful hateful stuff that's been live for years on Twitter, and still some of it remains up to this day. Uh, so I, I think, you know, obviously we need to be as vigilant, whether it's an image or text or some combination. The immediate pressure on Gab.com pushed them off the internet for now. But this also puts the other big social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter, puts pressure on them to continue their efforts to stamp out this type of uh, hate speech and, and be a platform for, for everybody, you know, that everybody can kind of be there without having to be subject to this stuff. I think it will be interesting to see what sort of pressure, not just governments and laws, but also people and users put on the companies to, to maybe err on the side of caution. But again, these are, these are tough questions. Look, if it was easy, you know, I think all the companies would have taken action. It's not easy. Um, I think there's certainly a wide belief that they haven't been making all the right calls, but they're certainly not simple challenges with simple answers. Ina Freed, Chief Technology Correspondent for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.